Hey everybody, this is Brent Ingersoll and you are listening to the Speaking Of Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. You're about to hear a conversation I have with my friends, Mark Clark, pastor of Village Church and author of The Problem of God, and my friend Josh Gagnon, the pastor of Next Level Church in New England and in Florida and the author of It's Not Over. We talk about a bunch of things. We talk about racism. We talk about church and the coronavirus. Uh, Great conversation with two world-class leaders who happen to be friends of mine. I hope you enjoy the show today. Here I am. Uh, We got my friends, Mr. Mark Clark, pastor of the Village Church, author of The Problem of God, and is uh, coming, coming to a bookstore near you. We got the problem of Jesus is that is that happening? <laughs> At some point, yeah, January, I think. That's awesome. If we're allowed to go to the bookstore, I'm not really sure. Hey, or you're gonna or, check out check it out on Amazon, and then on on the line. Yeah, and the uh, pastor of the pastor of the Village Church coming to a Canadian town near you, mm-hmm. uh, sometime soon. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? So who the, knows? Uh, and then uh, we also have Josh Gagnon. Uh, the pastor of NLC, not just in New England, but in uh, the Tampa area as well, and author of It's Not Over. Uh, friends of mine, privileged guys to have you on today. I, uh, hey, motivate me to write a book. What do, I, what do I gotta do to get over the hump? How did, you guys, how did you guys motivate yourself other than someone saying, hey, I'll pay you to do this? What do you, mm-hmm. what do, you do? Yeah, just Josh got lots of money. That was, that, was the, that was his motive. They say that if you write a book, you get rich. Yeah, they, whoever they are, lying. Is that, a, is that a thing? Lying liars. No, do it just just out of passion. It's therapeutic. Yeah. Um, you got something to say, and we know that you have something to say, and so you say it, and you you get better at thinking and and articulating, and it's it's good for you. But yeah, you do, you do it because you really believe you know you're in your message, and you want other people to hear it. You don't. You definitely don't do it for the money, unless you're writing like a Dan Brown Da Vinci Code novel or something. Right, right. Then you could. Then you could hit it. Yeah, I'm working on a whole like Navy Seal series, is what. Oh, series, nice. Okay. That's what. That's what I'm going to do. (laughs) So that should do well. Yeah, it should do really well. What's it called? I I don't know yet. No. Okay. Fiction. It's going to be fiction. It's going to be Tiger Tiger Queen. I think I'm going to call it. Oh, Tiger Queen. Okay. Okay. That sounds great. It's a, uh, anyway, I'm going to get in trouble. If right, I keep yeah, 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 because you're going to expose the plot. Yeah, I don't want to give it away yet, for <laughs> that's sure. The name of the, that's the name of the submarine that they're in all the time, trying to get the Russians. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that could go in a bunch of directions that we want to just yeah, that, it's great. off that train. But, uh, and then Josh, you, you, you released your first book this year as well. It's not over. How's that experience been? It's been good. It's a labor of love for sure. You know, you always expect, uh, you have pictures of how it's going to go and it never goes the way you envision it. I didn't envision launch, launching it two weeks before the world shut down, but, but we did and it's actually done, it's, it's done really well. And so uh, we're, we're excited. It's a, it's, man, you just got to keep pushing. You just got to keep pushing it. Nobody pushes it for you. You got to push your own book, believe in your own book. If you don't, then uh, nobody's going to believe in it more yeah. than you do. And so I've just kind of learned, Hey, listen, Trust God, but at the end of the day, make sure you put sweat sweat equity in. So it's been good. Same it's thing, not, passion, right? It's not over. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you're passionate about that message. So. Can you say that, Mark? It's not over. Not. 
He, I'm I'm contracted to say it at least four times in this conversation. So problem of God right, is it? Josh, it's not uh, over. <laughs> this this podcast is not over, and so that's right. Uh, just getting hey, started. I wanted to originally when I messaged you guys, I wanted to kind of just shoot the crap. And one of the one of the things about my podcast is going to be a wide array of conversations. I'm not not kind of committed to one lane. That may be to my detriment, but for now, I'm just talking about what interests me. And I was going to talk to you about anything from UFOs to uh, golf to, you know, Osteen and John MacArthur. Um, and, oh, wow. And everything in between. But uh, on, a, on a more serious note, I, I thought, you know, there's, there is a lot going on in the world right now. And I've got two, you know, just great voices in the church, uh, people that I respect and that I, I'd love to get your your thoughts on, you know, the church, what's next for the church in North America coming out of Corona. But before that, like there's this little thing going on. Uh, there's a few, I don't know if you've noticed, um, there's a bit of a, a wave of outcry since the, the George Floyd thing went down. And I know you guys, just like me, I've seen on your social media, you guys have gone on record with, you know, just, your position on racism from a biblical standpoint, from a pastoral standpoint, you know, and I have too, and I don't know if you had this experience or not, but I have been um, a little bit astounded at the both subtle and overt pushback that I've gotten from Christians, like both in my church and out that, you know, whether, whether it's anger or it's just like, yeah, but, or the same rhetoric that kind of comes around, uh, the conversation of race a lot of the time. Uh, I've been really surprised by that. And I've been in the conversations I've been having alerted to maybe to some of my own, my own uh, prejudices I might've grown up with that I, I wasn't totally aware of. And then just even aggravated by the reality of some of the positions that the church continues to hold on these matters. And I wonder what, since you guys, I know you both, and I think Josh, I think just this weekend you spoke on it, didn't you? I think I, I didn't see the whole message, but I saw clips and I know Mark, I saw uh, like at least a 10 minute piece you did on, on Instagram TV or whatever. You guys both spoke on it. Did you, what's your, been your experience even as a pastor, you know, going on record with this, you know, what's your take on it? And then what have you, what have you experienced since going kind of public with it? Yeah, we've uh, we've definitely desired to hit the the nail on the head. We we um, we've been honest about. It. I think the church we 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 claim that we're relevant. We got this movement of relevant churches, right? Everybody wants to be relevant. The problem is, is what that means to too many pastors is we wear cool jeans, wear cool shirts, have lighting and loud music, and that makes us relevant. Right. I think I think a relevant church speaks to what culture is dealing with, whether that's sexuality, whether that's racism, whatever that may be. And so I think, I think for a long time, pastors haven't wanted to get in the middle of hot topics out of fear of walking on eggshells and saying something wrong. And so even when it comes to racism, you know, my brother is a, a gay married man in New York. And when I was writing my book, It's Not Over, uh, we, <laughs> number three, I, I, had to, I had to reach out to him because I was like, hey, listen, I'm writing about you in here. I'm talking about your story. Do you want me to call you gay or homosexual? And it was this funny thing because he's like, because I was like, what am I going to refer to him as gay? And he said, well, homosexuality is like, like, that's like the, 
the, the professional way of saying it. He's like, I'm a gay dude, right? And so I think for a lot of people, even white pastors, as crazy as it sounds, it's like they want to avoid the controversy and getting in the middle because they don't know whether to say black or, or, or African-American. Like they don't even know where to start because they have no friends of any other, any other race. And so it's such a, such a slippery topic and it's, it's a scary topic. But yeah, we hit it right on the, we just went after it. I was the, uh, I had the opportunity. I was the only white dude on my basketball team in college. And so right. my entire uh, college life was, was uh, they call me white chocolate. And uh, you heard that, Mark, white chocolate right here, baby. Oh, and, Williams. Yeah. So they call me that. And so like I had that privilege of being, right. and I've had the privilege. I don't want to call it the privilege. I've had the opportunity, which has enlightened me today to see racism up close. Like I've never dealt with it because of the color of my skin. But I know when I was driving a car in college by myself, it was a lot different than when my friends were in the car with me. Right. I know that when we went to clubs, I was allowed in. I never went, but I was allowed in when they were still asked to wait in the waiting line to get into the club. And so, like, I've seen racism, never felt the pain of it because of my skin color, but I've been up close to it. And so for me, I do feel like it's, um, I do feel like it's my responsibility to make sure, just like Jesus would, that we're in the middle of the mess and that we're fighting for, for justice. And, and uh, we've had a little bit of pushback. You know, I've gotten a lot of people saying like this whole black lives matter. I get them writing me. I got a couple of them today, like all lives matter. Yeah. I'm like, we know that like nobody, nobody wonders if white lives matter. <laughs> like, yeah. That's not the argument, you know? And so there's just a lot of ignorance. Um, you know, one of the things I think we got to do better at is, you know, when you go off on vacation, your house, you come back to a house and I don't know about you guys, but I've come back before and noticed smells that I didn't know existed in my house because I've right. been in that environment for so long. And I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of white people, uh, a lot of people that haven't dealt with racism and they're in an environment where it doesn't exist for, to, or it's not an attack on them for so long that they don't even know it exists. Right. And I think, I think the awareness is the biggest thing. And then I think it's, it's giving knowledge on how to deal with it. So yeah, we've, we've been hitting it um, and dealing with it. We know it's a problem um, and we're going to continue, continue hitting it. I don't think it's ever had this much momentum. A good friend of mine, Sam Collier, um, he's uh, in Georgia. And um, I talked to him before I, I, um, I preached the message this weekend. I talked to three of my, my, my black friends and I ran my notes by them just to make sure that, you know, I was speaking a language that was unifying. And um, he even mentioned he's not sure we've ever seen this type of momentum yeah. towards this movement. And so we're praising God for that. What's been your experience so far, Mark, since? Yeah, of- I mean, similar, right? Josh is in the U.S. And so he has a, a pretty unique experience of it that even uh, we don't in regard to some of the some of the tension. But what we see when we speak out against it is um, that it's, it's one of those sins that you can speak about adultery, you can speak about greed, you can speak about sexuality. When you talk about racism, all of a sudden it becomes this nuanced geopolitical conversation. Right. Um, and it's kind of like, well, yeah, no, we're, we didn't get into this job to become um, or, or claim to be uh, the smartest, you know, politically nuanced people on the planet. We know that there's different narratives and different stats and different data that are telling different stories. Right. We get all that. And uh, that's not our world. Um, we, we of course do our best to understand that world, you know, hold a newspaper in one hand, a Bible in another, but we're, we're gospel guys. We're Bible. We're trying to do our best. And it's pretty clear. Um, not so much of the quagmire of 
every nuanced thing about police and, and, and you know, all of that, it's, man, the gospel's pretty clear. The Bible's pretty clear in its worldview about uh, the image of God and human beings. This is a human being issue. Right. And so that's what the church, if the church isn't talking about that, you know, then we're not talking about anything. Identity, people in the image of God, uh, equality, all of these things are gospel issues. It's Galatians 2 stuff. It's, it's Paul going, look, like Peter's acting like a racist, leaving table. Um, and what I understood about him is he, he wasn't walking according to the gospel. Right. And it's, it's not about some, you know, so um, I, yeah, I've, I've got some pushback. I think, I think the main pushback and, and Josh and my um, U.S. friends are experiencing this to a much higher degree um, is trying to walk this line of, look, when we say that we're for the black community and want to, ex you know, explain the black experience to white evangelicals, we're not saying we're on the side of violence and rioting and, and against police and because that's like the, 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 the kind of unwritten right. inference or something. And it's yeah. like, no, no, you can be for this and, and not against that, you know, all of that. Um, and it seems like people just grab a hold of those narratives and then just, you know, go, well, if you're saying this, that means you're against, and I'm a first responder and I'm offended. Mm -hmm. And I go to your church and, and I, I know my, my American friends, they've sent me texts of people, like hardcore people in the church who love the church. And they're like, I can't believe you've chosen a side over this issue. We're leaving. This is, right. you're being politically, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, you know, um, there's a great book um, by uh, John Stackhouse called Making the Best of It, Following Christ in the Real World. It's actually a pretty deep philosophical book about Bonhoeffer and Niebuhr and C.S. Lewis. And one of the things he talks about is there are times when Christians need to, to march or go use people who don't agree on every single thing that you agree on, right. but you can be unified with them on an issue. So for instance, Christians would march with Muslims around the issue of pro-life. You know, um, yeah. it's not like you have to, every little piece of the political theological thing has to agree. You're yeah. not going to go, well, he's a Catholic. We're not going to go on that pro-life march together. It's like, right. what are you talking about? We work together as, as Stackhouse says with Mormons and Marxists sometimes yeah. to do societal change if that's what it takes. Anyway, obviously very complex issues. And I think that's the pastoral experience right now is, man, I'm at least in the U.S., they're, you guys are getting it from both sides. And, uh, and, and, I, and I was getting that, and I do get it right now. Um, and, uh, but we were getting it about all the COVID stuff. Yeah, the same. As well. We, yeah. we were getting, you need to be the spokesperson. One email would say, I need to be a spokesperson um, for the fact that the government's keeping us in our homes. Right. And Bill Gates is trying to give us vaccines and get our uh, DNA, you know, in his house for the aliens. Um, and then on the other hand, I was getting, um, you need to speak out against the conspiracy theorists right. because they're dangerous for society. And when you don't speak out against it, you're not being a pastor. And that was like email to email to email. Right. Um, and so anyway, I'll, I'll stop. But my last point on this is to say um, on that particular issue, I think the ethic in Romans 14 is helpful where it's like, look, one guy eats vegan, one guy doesn't. 
we believe in the gospel. Right. Don't bust the guy's horns about whether he eats vegetables or not. It's a non-essential. But that, and so the pastor, I don't think the job is to get up and make a statement on COVID. Right. On, you know, whatever. But on this issue, it's different. I actually think this is part of the biblical, it's not some thing right. going on around conspiracies, uh, you know, of the day. So anyway, I think we have to discern when it is time to speak up and when it's time to actually go, actually, my job as a pastor is not to take a side on this issue. It's, I got to reach both sides with the gospel. From like a pastoral sort of, even just kind of putting like a biblical perspective on, and you're looking for the, you know, the, I don't know what the word is, the, just the behind the scenes reality to all this. What, what is it for you that, what makes it, what's at the root of all this? Like the fact that, the very fact that you, you can say something so matter of fact, that's so obvious that like black lives matter. And yet this gets pulled into being some divisive thing. Like what, what do you think's at play? You know, if we, you know, like it says, like Paul said, we were not against flesh and blood, the powers of principalities of darkness, you know, specifically from a spiritual rootedness. What do you guys think's at work when it comes to this? I mean, we're just seeing, like division being brought to the forefront in a bunch of arenas right now you know when you put on spiritual eyes to see maybe what god is trying to maybe bring to the forefront you know what do you see in that like what's the what's the meta narrative i guess behind the thing behind the thing does that make sense like what do you what do you think's going on driving this Mark? Yes? <laughs> Were you not listening to the question? Of course I was listening. I, uh, <laughs> I think when I, when, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. said the most segregated day of the week is Sunday. And um, I think there has been divisive, a divisive spirit. I think if you can divide the kingdom of God, uh, our spiritual enemy can take ground. And I think if we're divided inside of the church, how much ground can our spiritual enemy take? Right. And the communities look at the church as divided and not united. Then I think there's a, a big problem there. I think at the end of the day, though, there's just this carnal desire and sinfulness of selfishness. We lack compassion. We lack mercy. We don't seek after justice. I think there's just this, this thing. The reason why you never hear anybody who's black offended by the idea that black lives matter. It's only people who are white that get offended by the idea of Black Lives Matter. And it's because it's, because it's, a, it's this feeling of I no longer matter. Right. And we're so self-absorbed. We're so stuck in our selfish ways that we can't see the harm done. I was talking to somebody today and I said, the reality is, is, is you really have no business to talk about what others are experiencing of a different skin color if you've never spent a day in that skin color. You have no, no right to speak on it. Yet we have so many people who have never spent a day in a different skin color talking about how racism is, racism is a thing of the past, how, how, how this is just being blown up. And, and so for me, I think there's just this desire to want, to, want to, 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 to build up ourselves, to want to be included, to we lack empathy, you know, empathy we, we lack compassion. And I think that that's a, an inward thing. I think people that, that have a great desire for compassion justice and mercy 
they're going to clearly see the problem in our culture and they're going to gravitate towards wanting to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And I think we lack that. I think we lack it in our homes. I think we lack it as parents. I think we lack it as friends. I don't think the selfish ambitions of, uh, that come out in moments of racism are just, uh, are just one-sided to racism. I think that same judgment, that same hatefulness, that same arrogance, that same ignorance, I think is lived out in marriages daily, lived out in parenting daily, lived out in friendships daily. The reality is, is we just care most about what affects us most and what doesn't affect us most. If it's another skin color or whatever it may be, we just care a little bit less about it. Yeah. Do you see this as a, I know, I know this might uh, strike our reformed friend here uh, in, in the, in the fields, but do you see this as like, I, I, for the church, as it relates to the church, it seems like a gospel problem. Like it seems like the fact that we keep getting tied up in what you just were speaking to Josh, like self-preservation, like, the fact that, you know, it's, it's ironic that the racial conversation is rooted in slavery and it's slavery to fear that's keeping the white church from even being able to kind of, a lot of people in the white church to just sort of step forward and say, yeah, this is a problem. We're going to stand with these people and our brothers and sisters until there's, until they're heard and until we, we kind of bring down some of maybe the things that are working against them. You know, it seems to me like the gospel is supposed to set us free from fear like i shouldn't be afraid to say black lives matter i already know my life matters like it's, it matters in the gospel like and it, it, we shouldn't be self self-preserving you know and do you does this strike you as a as a doctrinal issue mark like when you when you think about racism well it is it is a doctrinal issue certainly because um we know that uh, every human being is made in the image of God. That's our philosophy. That's our theology comes right from the Bible. We're not, um, <clears throat> you know, naturalistic evolutionary thinkers. And if we were, then race doesn't matter. And uh, there are races that are stronger than others, as Darwin talked about. And all of life is a race to uh, basically beat out the other weaker races. Right. But that's not the worldview that we're informed by. So it's a doctrinal issue in the sense of the biblical story is of course every color, every person matters because we're made in the image of God, but there are moments where this, like I saw this great meme where it was like, you've probably seen it with the house on fire. Uh, and then there's another house and the, this house is fine. And this one's on fire and the guy's got the hose on this one. And it's like, all houses matter, you know? And it's like, let's, let's ignore the fire. And I, and I think that what that conversation's about is there is a, a people group, certainly in the United States, uh, as a unique experience that is, is on fire in the sense of they're feeling it right now. Mm -hmm. And if you go back to set aside all the philosophizing and all the, everything that came after and go back, as I was talking to, um, my buddy, Ricky Jenkins about this the other day as a pastor in Palm Springs. Go back to the chronology of it. If you jump to, yeah, but there's all these riots and da 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 da. It's like you're you're doing the chronology wrong. Go back to the question of watching that nine minute video. Mm -hmm. It's a human issue. It's a human. It's a human problem in the sense of there was a murder in the middle of the street. Yeah. And as T. D. Jake said, look, we're not asking to be not arrested we know there's a lot of black crime we're not asking to be never thrown in jail we know that blacks are you know all this stuff 
It's don't try us and execute us on the sidewalk. Give us right. our due justice, you know, put us into the justice system and let's, you know, whatever. So I think that's partly behind it. And then, and then I think, to be honest, uh, there's, there's people that are, they go and they, they research all the information and there's all these narratives about what the actual problem is, you know, and they share all these stats, right? White right. people are killed more, you know, all these things. And they, and they, and I, and I think that, that in behind some of these things is when I've talked to a couple of these people, what I've noticed is this desire to, to say, I actually like, let's, so yes, there's sin, there's self-preservation, there's all that stuff. But one or two of them that I've talked to, it's like almost this desire to help. Like if you listen to the Larry Elders or the Candace Owens of the world or whatever that are on the other side of this debate, they're coming at it from this, the problem with if we just put a black square up in our social media and move on with our life as a white person, we actually haven't helped because um, that's not actually going to solve the problem. Right, And so their narrative is actually the actual issues behind the issues are this list. Mm -hmm. And we got to start working on this list, not just saying, okay, there's racism in America. Let's move on. But their list, their list looks, looks very political though. Isn't that like, I think that's, that's part of the problem. Yeah. I mean, I've had people send me Candace Owen clips and Larry Elder and all the stats and like, as long as this conversation gets taken into a political arena, it's going to undermine not just the hum the human part of the conversation, but more than that for us Christians, yeah. the gospel part of the conversation. And it, it just seems like it's just that I think the devil's quite content for us being divided, whether it's because our skin color is different or because they have a different opinion on coronavirus or because you're, you're a Democrat and I'm a Republican, like, it's, I think the problem's deeper, deeper than that. And the moment that you start using maybe even good data to fix the wrong problem, it's just perpetuating dysfunction. And I think that's what you're seeing. Like it's, I think it's possible maybe to be, have the right information, but in, to implement it in a harmful way, I guess. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Like I've seen some people that I usually agree with that I've, I've felt very much in the last week or two that I'm like, you're wrong. Um, like I usually agree with your opinion and I don't even argue the data, but what you're doing with it right now is wrong um, because you're, you're using it to, to, to construct something else that's not actually a solution to the problem. Josh, I mean, you're, you're right in the heart of it though in, in the US. It is, it is, I think it's incorrect for Mark and I to sit here and say that it's not an issue in Canada. I mean, I have black friends that very much feel the weight of how this is all tracking. Um, but at the same time, it's not rooted into like, you know, I know people are having a hard time with the word systemic, but it's not, it's not part of maybe the Canadian infrastructure uh, as far back as it is in the U S I mean, what, how is this? I mean, and you have to wear the pastor hat and, and walk that razor's edge between red and blue all the time. Like, like what's, what's your approach in all that? Yeah, I think this week, this week we talked about, you know, we talk a lot about the problem, but what are we going to do to become part of the solution? 
you know, we, we, you know, anybody who argues that there's a problem on racism, I don't know how to help them because they're just simply ignorant and need to probably be slapped a little bit. Like on some level, on some level, there's just some arguments that just, how can you argue that there, that there is not racism and that the black community doesn't suffer against it? I mean, um, there's, you know, all you have to say is white guy walking down the street, black guy walking down the street. There was just a robbery who gets more attention. Right. Anybody, anybody in their heart that would, that could even think to say equal would just be lying to themselves. So I think it's pointing out the fact that this is, this isn't really up for debate. This isn't really like a, how many people die versus this many. Like, are you joking? Like, come on, man. At the end of the day, it's a problem. And so now I've said, okay, what are we going to do for the solution? And so we're just pointing people, you know, to having conversations, you know, this week I talked about obviously love at the end of the day, recognizing that love, love is not colorblind was, was a big conversation I had this week. You know, love is not colorblind. I think for a long time, I think DC talk even put out a song, didn't they? Something about love being colorblind or something like that. I don't know. I could be wrong on that. Before my time, homie, sounds good. Mark wasn't a Christian. (laughs) <laughs> nothing about dc talk Hold on he was second. smoking a joint at that moment <laughs> we, and i was colorblind <laughs> but we, we were talking you know about about love is you know everybody talks about like be colorblind colorblind i said love isn't colorblind you don't be ridiculous the goal isn't to be colorblind the goal is to celebrate color mm-hmm. and so there's 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 a thought where we can go through life as ignorant white black brown you name it people or we can go through life recognizing we look different, we act different. And here's the thing, there, there are differences in culture. Yeah. There's differences in upbringings. There's differences in neighborhoods. And that's okay. We can celebrate the difference without being colorblind. The goal isn't to, to not be colorblind. The goal is to celebrate the difference of color. And so I think that's, a, you know, what I'm teaching people, like, we got to love. And then talking about how to listen. Like, if you don't have any black friends or brown friends or Asian friends, if you don't have any Hispanic friends, at the end of the day, you really shouldn't even have a seat at the table until you okay, can bring some up. sort of, yeah, some sort of wisdom, some sort of acknowledgement that you have no reason to even speak. And so, you know, the first thing we need to do is we've got to have, have friends. We've got to get into different circles. We've got to listen so that we can learn. And then we talked about how the last thing I say is we've got to lead through this. And one of the things I think all parents should be doing in this moment is showing the video if, to a, a, a kid that's appropriate age of what happened to Mr. Floyd. Mm. And we've got to be bringing that to our families and saying, this is the racism. This is the hate. This is what's happened in, the, in, in our country where I live. This is what's happened for years. And this is a moment to lead our kids because what, what, what took place for centuries is not going to be overcome in my generation. When I die, racism will not be, will not be defeated. But I do think that my kids, kids, potentially kids, could live in a completely different universe than we live in today. Mm. You know, you're not going to fix hundreds of years of, 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 of problems with, with two weeks of rioting, two weeks of protesting. It's not going to be fixed. However, we can start to move that ball down the field. And so, you know, we're just talking about, you know, uh, making sure that we're taking those those appropriate steps. And I've gotten some great emails in. I'm talking like powerful emails. People saying, listen, I, uh, I grew up with a racist family and and uh, I never even understood that there still was racism because where we are in New England, some of our locations are in white communities. Mm-hmm. You know, we may just have a, you know, and then in Tampa, you know, we have a very diverse church. And so, you know, I'm preaching to the locations in all different demographics. And truly a white community, in New England, honestly, the reality is they just have no awareness of the problem. Yeah. 
because it's just not on their front door. It's not there. It's not on their porch. And so it's just bringing the awareness. Um, you We've know, but we're here. I mean, we'd be similar, right? Yeah. I mean, we're an extension of where the, the New England of Canada, essentially where we are. But the interesting thing though, has been there's ignorance. We we found, even as we've kind of had these conversations, there's ignorance within the white community, same as you just, you know, I didn't grow up with any black friends. I didn't have black friends until, until I was an adult. Um, so it's just ignorance. It's not malice. It's not hate, but there's, there's a level of just un, uncovered ignorance and assumptions perhaps. Yeah. And but, I think it's important for us as um, white evangelical leaders to have a place of sim- sympathy to that statement you just made. I think that we can come at it and um, because I personally am not racist and I've personally be, been placed in, in very diverse situations for many years that I can now go to the extreme of saying, man, if you're white and you don't understand that other races are equal and that you're absolutely ridiculous, ridiculous and you're ignorant, you're an idiot. I think there should be a level of, of sympathy where we understand you always feared what you don't know and a lack of knowledge will create an increase in fear. Mm-hmm. And so stepping into our white communities and saying, I know systematically, or I, I know, um, politically even that you've been brainwashed through movies i mean watch movies over the last you know several decades the black man in the movie has a typical role the reality is is subconsciously we've been trained to think certain ways and so you go into these all-white communities who have grown up in a in a polluted cultural uh, reality and they feel these certain ways yet they've kind of subconsciously been taught to feel certain ways by news coverage, so on and so forth. So I think that what we can do as white evangelical leaders is not just hate on all white people who are struggling in this area, but love them towards change, love them towards knowledge and teach them the wisdom that will actually change their opinion based on the knowledge that we're helping them gain. You make such a good point about just like the subtle ways that that, that that stuff is, is ingrained though. I mean, I think back to, uh, like watch Dumbo, the Disney movie, right? Like the, do you, do you guys remember that movie, Dumbo, the cartoon? Like there's like they're, the black characters in that movie are, are crows and they, they speak as though they're uneducated. And like, I mean, I remember watching it a couple of years ago with my kids and thinking, whoa, this, that, like they're, they're actually, they're pr- portrayed as black characters with black voices. They're the only, they're the only African-American sounding voices in the whole movie. And it's like, these are the subtle things that kind of subconsciously train us. But I think that's an amazing point you make, Josh, about just, so if either one of you guys showed your kids, you both have kids. Um, have you guys, have you guys watched that with your kids? Dumbo? No, <laughs> no. Well, that's, that's not as, not as egregious, uh, but there's, there's similar uh, no, undertones. I haven't, in I haven't shown it to my kids yet. No, uh, I haven't uh-huh. either, but we you had, know, uh, I didn't show the entire. I didn't show the entire nine-minute clip, but I did show um, a portion of it, and then I explained what ended up happening. And um, yeah. you know, my kids. It's funny, you know, because we've been in a diverse atmosphere, culture in my home. You know, my kids. It was just a few years ago. They're they're thirteen and twelve this summer, and uh, we were watching sports and they had mentioned somebody did something and I said who and they're like that person I said who and they said finally they said the tan one and I thought it was pretty funny that in their mind they didn't even know to say black they said the tan because they know their skin can get tanner and darker and um you know I I thought that was a, a bunch I thought that was pretty pure now through all this I'm sure they've recognized there's white and black lingo and brown lingo however 
Um, I think that would be the goal for me. You know, my son had a choice this past year in school to pick his uh, hero of his to write to write a paper on, and he actually picked uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on his own. Never even said anything about it. That was his hero to write about, and so. I sent that to some of my friends and, you know, that shows us there's hope, you know what I mean? That's somebody who should be celebrated. And I love that a white boy at 12 years old is celebrating him. So there is hope. Yeah, we, uh, we talked to our oldest about it cause she was seeing it on Instagram and stuff. So had the conversation, it was like tears, um, not understanding why, like, so we're very close. We take a lot of trips to Uganda and very close with the whole mm-hmm. community in Uganda and like, my kids like all their friends and it's like what what i don't get what the deal is like literally crying and confused and it was interesting to see that um and just kind of talking through okay this is how people act this is why and it's like i, I don't understand any of this yeah uh, so it was, it was very you realize that you know this stuff you know it it is taught yeah um and uh yeah it's just fascinating you see that great little uh the little video where the black and white kids yes. are like two years old, they're all running yeah. toward each other. And like, yeah. man, it's, uh, but yeah, I know I, I agree. It's um, very uh, interesting to have the influence of parents, subtlety of friends with comments, um, jokes, stereotypes, they get infiltrated in our brains over time. And it's uh, very hard to shake those. So we, obviously got to do a good job with this generation so yeah and i think i think it, i i like what you said josh in fact i'm maybe a little more optimistic even like i feel i feel like there's a there seems to be a, a exponential increase in the volume of, of this conversation How, just like i don't think we've ever seen a global movement quite as fast as these last two weeks and the other the other interesting thing is just how many high profile white preachers uh seem to be going on record for this so there does seem to be some change in the air i think you're right it's going to take time to root out of deep ingrained you know generations of people who hold those racial yeah i think i think we have to get rid of we have to unlearn the stereotypes mark was just talking about um i have stereotypes Mm -hmm. if we're just keeping it 100 we all do and it's unlearning those and so I think it's going to take a couple of generations for those not to be, for the stereotypes to be washed out and cleaned out of, of the clothing we've been wearing. And so, you know, we'll see, we'll see how long, but I definitely agree. We've never seen anything like this. And, and um, I don't know about you guys, but like, I mean, it's made me, I think relationships such a huge, like you know, Josh, you're saying how you're on a, you're on a basketball team, you're the white guy. So it, it changes your perspective when you have people you care about, who, who are going through that, you can understand through them, you know, such an opportunity for the church to, even churches that are in predominantly white communities to, to try to seek to be as diverse and multicultural as possible. I mean, that's the Revelation 7 vision, every tribe, tongue, people, and nations surrounding the lamb. You know, I, I think there's such an opportunity for the church to just seek to be different tan tan people dark people pale people you know all of it i think it's uh, that we have an opportunity i think as the church all that to say yeah i I, and i think just like i um i have this picture up in my fridge and um so my brother-in-law is brown 
and my sister-in-law is Asian. And there was this, so we were taught, we had a relationship with friends for months and we were chatting about our families. Right? So one day the guy walked up to the fridge and the picture is on there of the whole family. And he goes, who are these people? I said, oh, it's my, it's my brother-in-law, that's my sister-in-law. And he goes, oh, I didn't know. And I'm like, didn't know what? <laughs> and then he stopped himself wow. and he's like, I didn't know uh, that one of them was Asian and one of them is brown. I'm like, what, what do you mean? And he's like, Am I, it's like he was thinking that at some point in our conversations over the series of months, I would, I would point out this fact. Hey, just so you like, know. Hey, just, um, we know who we're talking about. We're here. getting close. So I need to let yeah, you know something. About I need to let you know something. Anyway, it's, um, it's very interesting. And, and yeah, um, so the gospel is the solution. I agree with you, brother. hundred percent. Hey, yeah. I want to honor your guys' time. I appreciate you being on, but I want to get, I want to get your two cents before you go. I mean, we are three months into the Corona crisis, you know, both of you guys like myself leading uh, churches, large churches, you guys, in your guys' case, very large churches, you know, you have, you had plans put on hold and you had probably some plans completely eviscerated uh, with, with maybe the last three week, three months, you know, what are, what are you, what are you taking forward? What do you think as you're kind of reimagining this next leg of the journey and maybe what God's doing and how he's making you think differently about church, your church? Where are you headed? What, what uh, conversations and kind of creative things are you looking at, you know, for this next, I don't know about you, but it's, it's sort of reset how I'm looking at things for the long haul in some, maybe some healthy, but uh, difficult ways. And I'm, I'm interested to hear from you guys on, you know, how are you coming through this, this, the other side as a leader and where are you taking village church or NLC? Um, so yeah, I mean, we, we, we've been having the conversation about what online was going to look like for, uh, about a year before this and, uh, had planned to do it in September and this kind of up, you know, up the, the timeline. Um, and I just think for us specifically, I know there's a lot of people who are dreaming global dreams and, you know, global takeover and all that. I'll leave that to Josh and you. Um, I really feeling right now the holy spirit saying have a national vision have a canadian vision mark speak to canada and so we just um hired a a guy who's going to plant a church in winnipeg and we hired a, a church planting regional director in toronto uh we're going to try to go after um those cities and then over the next five years you know talk about what are those major cities across canada mm-hmm. Um, that we can hit coast to coast and plant churches. Um, and so we're just starting to draw that up. And even our online content is very Canadian focused. Uh, in my sermons, I'm addressing the Canadian and we have people, you know, we even shifted, we have a seven o'clock service time in order to hit the East coast right. uh, versus forcing people in the East to, you know, sign on at two or three o'clock in the afternoon um, and so we're seeing kind of those, those dots across the country and those kind of swells of, of people who are attending or starting to give. We actually have community groups that are starting to gather in those areas. And so uh, we're kind of looking at it like that and just saying, let's, let's see where this goes. But yeah, 
as that relates to physical locations and man, that is like, we have no idea what that's going to look like in the next year. Like when are we, when are we as a church going to be able to gather again in physical locations? I have no idea. Yeah. What are they uh, saying a year from now? What are they saying? Like in BC where your locations are, like, do you have, are they well, they're saying you can gather in 50 people or something. And so, you know, for a small church, that's great. 200 people do a few gatherings. We have, we rent schools and we rent movie theaters. So whether the schools are going to even let us back into the classrooms, um, what's the point? We can't do 80 services of, you know, uh, a, or a hundred a week or whatever. We're not going to do that. It's not worth the, the time for the bad experience or the money to kick back up rentals. And so right now we're staying online and we're seeing, we're seeing, you know, lots more people than would be able to gather in a physical location online. We had 40 new givers two weeks ago, a hundred new people signed up for community groups. We're actually hitting budget, which is all by the grace of God. We're actually above budget and the original budget before the COVID stuff that includes all the rent and everything that we haven't had to spend. And so we're able to actually do some hires around the reality of, okay, if literally a hundred percent of our church is online now, we probably need three or four different kinds of staff members that we wouldn't have hired six months ago to really emphasize what the online experience is like, how it gets out there from a, from a, you know, a marketing perspective and framing and content and all of that. So we're starting to really, that's how it, anyway, to answer your question, that's how it started to change a bit of our staffing and communication and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, we're, we'd be similar, similar on the, obviously the opposite end of the country, but same thing seems to be like a decentralization, even like a migration of the church happening right now, Right. where, you know, people aren't connected geographically, they're more connected demographically or, you know, um, just really, yeah, it's, it's philosophically quite, or yeah, yeah, it's quite, uh, it's quite interesting. So what are you seeing, Josh? Yep, a lot of the same, you know, we're working on our micro sites and really seeing this as an opportunity to, to reach those pockets of people. Like, like Mark is saying, we've, uh, we've got someone focused on that entirely on creating a structure and systems accountability for different microsite groups. So we've got one in Naples, Florida right now. We've got a couple others kicking up. And so we're going to create an entire site for just our microsite kick up, you know, startups where they're just going to be underneath leadership being fed. But at the end of the day, they're going to do it in their homes because we can still meet in homes. Yeah. Um, so we're just, we're making it up as we go. What we're not doing is we're not doing any sidesteps. We're making sure that everything we do is something we're going to continue to do in the future. Yeah. And I don't want to take a bunch of sidesteps, waste all sorts of energy and resources so that when we open back up potentially in physical venues, in six months from now, four months from now, two months from now, all of a sudden now everything we've done has gone to waste. And so everything we're doing is forward steps that we're going to continue to do once we do have the opportunity to reopen. And so it's just taking more of the same ground in a different way. Right. And I think in the future, it'll, it'll compound upon itself. Um, we've seen, I mean, you could almost, <laughs> in a strange way, you could almost argue that this has been the strongest three months that we've had as a church. <laughs> I could tell you in, in a lot of ways, it's been the best three months we've ever had financially. It's been our best three months ever. Um, and uh, in a lot of ways, I mean, attendance has been our highest three months ever. And I'm not just saying that because, Oh, we have all sorts of views online, but mm. you know, giving units and on and on. I mean, we're just yeah. Yeah. really, we're really just seeing an increase in influence and, and, and um, you wonder you know, though, 
you wonder if that is like you think of this the the the, the landscape of the church and is god is god is this a pruning season and are you know are there is god going to more and more anoint platforms and voices and communities that aren't so much connected to one ge- geography and like there is village church and they're all over the place and there is nlc and they're all over the place and there are just there are voices instead of places that are kind of uh you know becoming the the glue i guess that's holding a, a community get yeah i think the biggest question we'll have to answer now is the the i don't want to say the importance um but where the physical venue now fits yeah. i think we're going to have to answer that where does that physical venue of 1000 2000 people in a room now fit i think we could all say there's reasons for it and i can tell you there is and we want to get back to that however i would just say you know we're going to see such a movement without those things financially the freedom without those things is drastic which you can do in ministry the amount of resources you can give away in advance so i think the question now will be how do we add back in the physical locations by continuing to take the same ground we've been taking because a lot of our resources and attention goes towards taking care of those rentals or those facilities and so i don't think it's one or the other however i think it's both and but i do think we're going to have to ask ourselves okay what pace do we add back in those physical locations i would also say starting locations may look a little bit different for us we may actually not have a physical location for a lot longer than we would have in the past trusting in this organic movement before being um, locked into a facility so there's going to be a lot of different changes yeah, we've got a guy on the ground in Prince Edward Island. It's on the it's on the, like the far east coast, and he's we were supposed to launch officially, like the old kind of old school launch uh, in September, but it's not going to happen. But at the same time, we're we were both kind of geeking out on the potential strength of, you know, the, I, I said to him this morning, like, you, hey, go, you know, like start building yeah. more and more community. Like, there's yeah. there's you're having just as many services as the rest of us. So there's not, there's nothing stopping you from growing the church in Charlottetown. So it's, it's pretty interesting days for sure. All right. Last question. Um, if you wanted somebody to disciple your, your unsaved grandmother and you had to pick between uh, a Bible, <laughs> a Bible thumping reformed reform preacher or a, a hyper grace guy who's just gonna, just gonna love where, which, which, which way are you going? Mark Clark. <laughs> For anybody listening, this goes back to an epic argument that uh, that was started in a on in an SUV ride with the three of us. And uh, <laughs> is that down. where it started? That's where it started. We were driving. Yeah. Someone was driving. Maybe it was maybe it was me, or someone was driving poorly. And uh, I got I got to still go with the Bible guy. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because I think. My grandma needs to be discipled in the scriptures Mm -hmm. and the scriptures are going to be the long standing thing that's going to define her life, not a particular leader and their tone and the way they treated them and modeled Christianity for them in their life. It's like, yes, of course I want that in the best of both worlds. You'd have a great Bible person and a grace person and a yada, yada, yada. But my hope is that her love is for the word and the word behind the word, no matter what leader mentors her or models something for. I think we have done a disservice in a sense to the, to the, uh, the platform of leaders 
where people identify we've created these leaders that have they can do experiences for everybody people get addicted to them mm. and vicariously live out their faith through them and we need to not point people to so much a leader i don't have any problem with of course, a leader is going to define everything. You don't have civil rights without Martin Luther King Jr. You don't have, you know, the abolition of slavery without Wilberforce. I get that, and I'm for that. I'm just saying it can't be the thing that defines a person's faith. Um, when the when they wake up in the morning and they get a cancer diagnosis, you know, their charismatic, doughy-eyed leader is not going to give them the the confidence and the ability to live life. It's it's the steel in the spine that the scriptures give them, which is why I would take a Bible guy. You make a good point. You make yeah. a good point. But. Yeah, I, would, I mean, I would agree with everything you said. It would just need to be a Bible guy that has a little bit of compassion and love because, yeah. I, because I've seen a lot of Bible guys contradict the Bible by the way they live, and that pushes yeah. plenty of people away because they view God like the Bible guy. Yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, I think Tim Keller would be a good uh, – a good person to sit with my grandma wouldn't he hey yeah. he, you, you saw he's got uh he's got cancer right eh? mm. so uh, you saw that yeah yeah we're praying for him That's, yeah me too yeah yeah appreciate yeah, I, um, what do you got oh i was just gonna say i i don't know if you guys are reading ortland's dale ortland's book gentle and lonely no i've just been reading it's not over right yes that's four um so second to it's not over the best book i've read recently is this uh, oh, gentle, gentle and lowly? Yes, problem of God. But the third book, um, and it's great. He he makes this point about you know Matthew eleven. You know I am gentle and lowly in heart, and he says Spurgeon pointed out to his grandfather years ago that um, that out of all of the all four gospels, eighty nine chapters of scripture the only time we're ever told about the heart of Jesus is this one passage. And what Jesus reveals about himself is that he's gentle and lowly. This is to go to your point, Josh, about having someone who's actually loving and compassionate in their life and not a total jerk, but they've got straight theology. Um, and he makes the point that, and I, and I, I shared with um, our church this week, I said, you know, when I planted a church 10 years ago, I was the like, fired up jesus is no he not no gentle meek nonsense yeah. he's a leader bro he's gonna bust your life up i don't need no you know canadian niceties soft jesus whatever mm -hmm. and then i said you know that was when i was 30 and now i'm 40 and i got 10 more years of sin under my belt and i need him to be gentle and lowly mm. Man. and i think that that's part of what you're talking about yeah. i think I think oftentimes we've abandoned I agree. theological acumen for the sake of a soft, loving, compassionate leader. That's my fear. Mm -hmm. And we've taken someone who can talk nice and be nice and model something nice yeah. with no theology. Uh, and that, anyway, that's my, that's my fear. Yeah. I think, I think um, I was talking to a staff member the, you know, last week talking about how grace and truth, and we know this, but grace and truth go hand in hand. You know, you don't need, you don't need grace outside of the truth, right? And you don't need yeah. truth aside, aside from grace. The reality is, mm -hmm. is they both go hand in hand and you can't have one 
I'm living on without the other. And so yeah. I think that's an interesting balance to live with and especially within our culture, because I think for so long, the church has been seen as for what it stands against, right? So all the truth and all the things we stand against in that truth. And so now what we've done for so many years is we're trying to correct now the reality that grace isn't black and white. Grace is gray. And so it's trying to sit in that place where we can now say, listen, your life is a mess and God wants to redeem you and you need to, you know, repent and turn that other. Yet God is a God of love and grace. And some people are like, well, if God's like that, what's the problem with sin? Right. And so there's this, this, you know, we're living in a world where we're trying to correct so many years of the church standing against standing for what it's against, just being like true, 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 truth, beating yeah. people up. And so then you've got people going the other direction, right? Grace, 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 grace. Because the reality is they don't have the ability to communicate the gospel with truth and grace as one. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think you have a lot of people that go the full direction of grace is because outside of, they can't communicate it any other way. It takes a person like Mark. You're wonderful at it. Really, honestly, I think, you know, we're we're very close. We're very close friends. So I usually say this thing when I'm busting you, but uh, very, very, very gifted at being able to, to present the truth in a way that that feels um, graceful. And so you've grown in that too. And I've also seen the, yeah. the, I've also seen the focus on Canada as of late. I wanted to say that too. I've, I've noticed yeah. that. So yeah, Canada, Canada needs this guy's voice. Oh, well, you're not 100%. kidding. It needs all you guys too. So yeah. I appreciate you guys. Thank My last you. name is Gagnon. Gagnon. Hey. C'est ça. Come, Come on. on. Maybe I'm coming to Canada. I'm t- hey. Actually, I'm going to take over the village. <laughs> that's good because i think i in the after covid's over i think i'm becoming an insurance salesman there you go that's that's it hey no, may no. we uh may we be both full of grace and truth like jesus yes oh man 100 percent. and uh this interview this interview's over <laughs> this interview <laughs> there it is that's uh, funny there it is actually legit if you're still listening uh go pick up one of those books uh did you guys have the same did you guys have the same designer no i don't no. think so i don't know who my designer was the font, no, the font. it says it right on it maybe hold on maybe it is the font oh, on your name is similar you're, you're darren welch and i'm Tim darren welch that's, that's actually the first time i've ever looked at who designed this cover that's funny it's a good right. cover guys it's not hey. over man it's not over and uh it's not over you can always solve the problem problem of god God. come on you and it is the big problem and all the problems of heaven and earth shall what is what is the quote tozer says uh oh yeah yeah yeah. all of the problems of heaven and earth though they were to confront us together and at once would be nothing compared with the overwhelming problem of god that he is what he's like and what we as moral beings must do about him. Brilliant. Yeah. In fact, and of course, that's where I got the title. I was going to call the book Skeptics Forum or something like that. And at the last minute, the manuscript was done. Everything was over. They were designing a book cover. And my buddy was reading Tozer and just like texted me it as a little devotional thought, that quote. And I was like, the problem of God. I love that phrase. So yeah huge tozer can't recommend and thus the movement began guys yes problem of jesus coming out next lots of problems. problem of judas you done writing that judas coming out problem of jesus is written yep awesome man has it been accepted yeah uh, so they wanted 
50,000 words. I gave them 105,000 words. And so now they're getting back to me on the first edit. And then I, and then, and then I start writing the, the third book, which we're still debating what it should be about, but I think That's, it's going to be called the problem. You should give me the other 50,000 words. I'll call it the problem of JC. Oh, okay. perfect. <laughs> and then you're done your next book. What's that? What's that like when you hand in a hundred thousand words and they come back at you and say, yeah, 80% of this sucks. Yeah, well, it's hopefully they don't say that. It's just eighty percent of this is great, but yeah, we can't use it because no one's gonna buy it. Right. Um, you know, when it when it looks like this, and so um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, all right. Um, but I I honestly I so problem of God is eighty thousand words. So if I can get it to eighty, that's I can't write a book short of the problem of God. I mean, that's I handed in forty thousand words. Yeah. And they were like, you you, yeah, and they're like, can you get us another 10? I was like, I'm like, work on it. <laughs> so you're my looking ne- up words. <laughs> yeah, my next book launches in January too. Does it? Oh, nice. A oh, year no, from, you're gonna be like no, January 2022. Oh, okay, good. Is it, What's it, what is it called? It's not over again? Still it's not book. over still, still not <laughs> it's over. still not over. <laughs> still. I'm, doing a, I'm thinking about doing a book on thoughts. Oh, wow. Oh, interesting. How, uh, tell me your thoughts. I'll show you your future. Not that title, but that idea on just the power of our thought life. Right. That's awesome. Like you guys that. inspire me. I'm going to go start mine. What, what are you going to write on? What, what's your idea? You have to have know. an idea. Other than it's the Navy. I, I'm wrestling with, uh, my idea is like a, it's a, I'm wrestling with writing a book for, for the church and not like, I, I'd rather, I'd rather write something that's going to help, you know, um, the average person who attends the church, but I feel like I have something to say to church leaders as far as uh, transformation and renewal and that kind of thing. Right. So, right. Um, yeah. I'm just, I'm just wrestling through put, putting a ton of work into something that might not actually get seen very much. Well, ch- just chip away at it on the, in the cracks of life. Yeah. All those cracks. Yeah. <laughs> Create the cracks. There's yeah, a lot right. of cracks during you COVID. Know, you know what I've found? Uh, I have resistance is a real thing. The like, like the war of art. You know what I did? COVID started and I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a day, a week, and start mm-hmm. hammering this thing. And yeah. what I did instead was launched a blog and a podcast. So, so you're filling the cracks. You're filling I, the cracks. I have anything I can do to not – not start hammering away, but I got you. I it's I got a burning in me to desire to do Good. it. Good. So. Well, I'm looking forward to reading it. It'd be yeah. great. Yeah, I'll have you guys endorse it. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Hey, just 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 on this note for a second, I want to say something, Josh. Here's what you're uh, great at. So the first time I asked you what what your first book was about, you said the word dreams. And I'm like, oh, well, I don't even know where that, this guy's coming from. It was like the book of Daniel or something. And then this time we asked you and you said thoughts. So you are able to summarize what you're writing a book on in one word, which is brilliant. Mm. Yeah, I sir. couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. We're, uh, we're ex- I'm more excited. To, I'm, I'm excited. It's not over. It's had a good little run right now, you know, especially after COVID kind of got a little bit less of the attention. I'm super yeah, excited. Yeah, we're hoping about- COVID is over. Yeah, I'm hope, super excited about the next project here. We, uh, yeah. It's funny, I didn't even have an Instagram page when I did the uh, It's Not Over. when I. Uh, mm-hmm. right. So it's been pretty fun to, to see that. Yeah, right. Guys, thank Hello. you. 
Okay, I rock on, brother. Thanks for having us. Appreciate you. You guys, yeah. love you both. Appreciate you. Respect you. Love Thank you guys for time today. And uh, love you, boys. we'll be in touch. Peace. Rock on, homies. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mark and Josh as much as I did. Hey, do me a favor before you sign off on your device or whatever platform you're listening on. I'd appreciate if you would do me a favor and subscribe, maybe even write a review. That would help us get the word out to as many people as possible. Thanks for listening to the Speaking Up podcast.